Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Discussing a lot of football over the next two hours, Armando Salguero will join us in 20 minutes. OutKick 360 underway, hour number two, just like that. From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshot. About to preview the Major League Baseball postseason, which will be underway tomorrow. It happens fast. First pitch of the first game is, what, 11 a.m. Central, I believe? It's like 11.07 a.m. Yeah. It, it's some weird uh, – it's like a 1.15 or 2 o'clock ABC first pitch for Phillies Cardinals also. I will uh, say tomorrow. I feel pulled in in a way – and I know this isn't the same for everybody, but now the Yankees are waiting. And I think I will be interested in Guardians' Rays in a in more – in a bigger fashion. Because I want to see how that plays out and get familiar um, with what the Yankees will be seeing. I will definitely be paying attention tomorrow during our show to Cardinals Phillies. Uh, Cardinals Phillies tomorrow because the winner gets the Braves. I, I, I have to say, I kind of like if they're doing what they're doing and they insist on the wild card, I like this setup better. But I'm sure I'm going to find holes in it. The day baseball stuff, you mean like all three games? Well, no, the uh, three game series at one park. It, it's far better than the one-game playoff yeah. and all of that. Yeah, so tomorrow, for those unfamiliar with the schedule, uh, Guardians-Rays will take place noon Eastern. Uh, you've got followed by uh, Cardinals-Phillies, which will first pitch is like two hours later, and then tomorrow night, Mets-Padres. I do and think they should be reseeding. I mean, I think the Dodgers should be getting the worst remaining seed out of the NL instead of a pre-prescribed... Well, You've got one other series, too, taking place. Mariners, oh, Blue yeah, Jays sorry, tomorrow, yeah, yeah also right. in the afternoon. So all four, I like that. I yeah, like that all lot. four are played Friday, Saturday, and Sunday if necessary. Let's preview the postseason. Michael McHenry joins us, former Major League catcher, now broadcaster with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Michael, hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. Appreciate you guys. Look forward to talking a little ball. Which, uh, which series starting tomorrow are you mo- most looking forward to following? You know, I'm, I'm really excited about that San Diego, New York series. Uh, the reason being is I think the expectations for both teams were extremely high. San Diego, with all the moving pieces here, Tatis problems, them not living up to the expectation, and then New York winning 101 games and having to play in a wild card, it's absolutely phenomenal. They're frustrated, they're pissed, and of course the new system is a big sham and everybody's going nuts on Twitter because of that. But the reality of it is, is that's the way the cookie crumbled, so let's go. The Mets, with their two giant studs, just needed one mm-hmm. win in, in Atlanta for things to fall their way and, and couldn't get it. They're built around uh, Scherzer and DeGrom. That's usually foolproof, not foolproof, but it's usually a pretty strong way to go into the playoffs. What's your feeling for them going into this? Yeah, I think it's great that Max Scherzer got a chance to get some starts under his belt. You know, coming off the IL, DeGrom looks like typical DeGrom, like he's never going to age. So, yeah, having those two, and and don't forget, 
you know, because it's the way this is set up, they can have some of their starters kind of come out of the bullpen, especially on that first day if they need to. I mean, their starting pitching is a weapon. You know, the bullpen has been a little bit of a struggle at times, but the postseason kind of throws everything out the window. We saw Milwaukee a couple of years ago literally go in and just go bullpen day after bullpen day and, you know, climb through the playoffs. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of how they set things up. But I think, I think by far, especially since it's in New York, they have to be favored big time. Going back before the season, Michael McHenry joins us. Which team in the in the playoffs right now surprised you the most? Which one surprises you that they actually made the playoffs? The Phillies, uh, to be honest. I, I never bet against Terry Francona in Cleveland. I know that was the odds lowest yes. if you look at the betting. But Terry Francona, when I was in Boston, him, Theo Epstein, and Ben Sherrington called me personally when I got traded. And I said, that guy is special. That guy is a player's manager he cares about the human beings. And in a game with analytics and everything else, it's hard to find that consistently. But he's a guy that brings men together that fight together. And the proof is when Jose Ramirez signed a deal for less than what he was worth saying, I want to be here. This is my home. And that's special. So I wasn't going to bet against them, period. Seattle would have been the next team. But, you know, knowing some of those guys on that team, same thing. And then I didn't know how the dynamic was going to work with some of the big boppers. I feel like it's such an ebb and flow for them to get hot. Obviously, you have Bryce Harper, one of the best players in the game, but I didn't know how the guys around him were going to compliment him because there was a lot of swing and miss. Some guys were <clears throat> kind of coming off that contract year, and usually that means maybe they don't produce the same way the next year. They get a little comfortable. So it's very interesting to see them just take off in the second half, especially after that Harper injury. And the Phillies get the Cardinals, and I look at the Cardinals as a team that could end up being a really big story in this postseason with Pujols, Molina, uh, Wainwright. This is the type of team with that veteran presence, but also a guy like Nolan Arenado. I know they've struggled offensively late in the season, but what do you think about this Cardinals team heading into the playoffs, specifically the matchup with the Phillies? If if the baseball guys want to do us right, Paul, you're going to love this. New York, St. Louis, you have the machine, you have Judge, you have the – just really the incredible story of baseball. And it all kind of come to the end. Cause you have Molina that's retiring. You have Albert Pulse just beat all his records. He's retiring. You have judge who seems to be the new age juggernaut. That's going to, you know, kind of take this, uh, I guess, homes by storm with this sport and can really be a face for baseball moving forward. So baseball gods, please. But I don't know if that's going to happen. You have Wainwright. who has got a dead arm. You have uh, Flaherty who, you know, he's coming back. He hasn't looked quite as sharp. He did look good against the Pirates the other day, but there's a lot of question marks there. And then they have their closer, Heisley, go down with a cut in his finger. So they have some things that they have to be worried about, and they're playing a Phillies team that, you know, looked good in the second half. So it's going to be interesting, but I would really love to see that. Michael, I would love to see that too because yeah. I think they're very beatable. Michael McKendry with us. We're talking we MLB playoffs and much more. Paul, set up the premise of the Fox News rundown you recorded on Shohei Otani. Yeah, I, I invoked the Paul Kuharski clause, which is not widely known, and this was the first time it's invoked, <laughs> but I think it. it's going to become all the rage. I, I uh, It mandates that the Angels trade uh, Shohei Otani uh, <laughs> after five years of fruitlessness, the closest they've come in a full season is 13 games out of the wild card. He's being wasted, obviously, a generational, you know, haven't seen anything like him since Babe Ruth. He needs to be seen and, and play on a team that contends. Um, I guess uh, Hutton said he heard he got a one-year deal. Maybe that's uh, arbitration avoidance. But uh, <laughs> Judge just had the best contract year ever. Otani may have the best contract year ever 
next year. We'll see him back to back. Um, and Hutton said you have some numbers on him. Yeah, you've you. I mean, you you've mentioned before, Michael. You, he's one of your favorite players to watch, and you dive into the numbers and analytics. What what stood out to you on his season? So this is just like this is just for your all show. Yes. So it's two players, and if you put these two people together, okay. So pitching, those numbers are comps to Dylan Cease. Right, one of the best pitchers in the American League. That's the comps. The guy below it, the hitter, is Mookie Betts. So he's a top <laughs> ten pitcher. Wow, and he's a top ten hitter. He's never in the history of Major League Baseball has a player qualified as a hitter, not even Babe Ruth, and a pitcher. So what we're seeing is so unprecedented. We we don't even know how to quantify it. They don't even know how to do his WAR because if you look at Dylan Cease, he has a six point eight WAR. That this is wins over replacement. And then Mookie Betts has almost a seven. So if you put those together, he has over a 12 war, but Judge is leading the way with 11.7 war. So like the reality of it is, is how do you quantify two players? And they're both $30 million players. So just to put it in even more context, right? So let's, let's see how good this guy really is. So he has more home runs than Stanton. He has a higher batting average than Mookie Betts, a lower ERA than Garrett Cole, and more strikeouts than Justin Verlander. That's, that's what we're looking at. I mean, I, I think, Paul, you have something there. It's like, it's a shame that we're not hearing more about Otani and Trout. Trout just hit 40 homers and less than 400 bats. In the last, I guess, 200 or 300 games, he has like 100-something home runs. I mean, the guys, those two guys are doing things that are unheard of. They're not just generational, like, talent. They are, like, century-type talent. I mean, we really should. Divide yeah, him into two crazy. players and call it the batter Shohai but, and the and the pitcher Otani. <laughs> I mean, just and, I mean, and, uh, I like he it. sounds like a New York Yankee. But I mean, to your point, Paul, with your your Fox News rundown, imagine him if it's if it's St. Louis he's playing for and going into the playoffs tomorrow. Yeah. If it's the oh. Yankees, if it's the Braves, go to any team that's relevant almost every year. Or just if in the put him on the Rays, even put him on the Rays, right? Well. They're let's in the playoffs. Let's not personality guys. Better than the Angels. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to go. The guy, the guy is the absolutely race, hilarious. I don't know if you watched yeah, his mannerism. Yeah, cool. Joked around the other day. He got hit, but with a curveball, and he went to the first baseman Brown and said, "I'm going to get you next time." There's no games left. <laughs> but like, it's just, he's just a funny dude. Like always laughing, always smiling, joking around. And I think that should be highlighted. Him and Judge moving forward. I think they should win co MVP. I think it's good for baseball. I think there's no comparables to what they're doing. So you just say co-MVP and let these guys be the face and let them run because it's good for baseball. They need it. I think MLB is trying to hurt baseball with all the rule changes and not being completely transparent. These two guys could really revitalize the youth coming back in. Well, the, the one-year $30 million contract that was announced four days ago for him, to me, and we were talking about it during the break before you joined us, to me that's a signal that they're going to they're gonna move him at the trade deadline next year. Right. Instead of giving him the big contract, I think if you're unless they're winning, Paul was like, yeah, unless they're winning. I think we know they won't be. Um, that's where we finally get to see Otani in the postseason. And aren't the they trying to sell the him. team? Uh, I've, yeah, I've, that's yeah. what I was about to say. I think, I, I've heard rumors that they're trying to sell the team. Yeah. So I think it's maybe they go all in one time. You know, they, they get him locked in. Trout's there. I think he can opt out possibly next year or the next. So like maybe it's an all in type season. They go over the luxury tax. And see what they can do. There's going to be some phenomenal free agents this offseason. So depending on what they want to do and how aggressive they want to be, you know, they can do it. But the reality of it is, when you're in LA, who's the team? It's the Dodgers, right? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like the Clippers and the Lakers. The Lakers are always that 
team that's just elevated a little bit more. So they have to do some different things. The, the power shift from the front office or from the dugout to the front office has changed the game the way the, way the game is, is, is played. And you sent me a great article uh, that Joe Madden with a new book that's out. There's an excerpt from that. And he goes into detail on why he was fired, uh, speaking of the Angels, but why he was fired in, in the playoff teams um, that feature the new school approach versus an old school approach. Um, of, of those, of the playoff teams, which... Which team do you think is more of a, I don't know if there is a throwback anymore, Michael, but the old school where the, the, the dugout guy has control versus new school, it's all up top with the general manager? I would say if I had to pick three teams that are doing really, really well with it, it's L.A., the Braves, and Cleveland. Because you look at who's managing them um, and, and kind of look. I know L.A. from a, a personnel standpoint. I know a lot of guys, and I know how they – kind of translate the numbers. They have a player in between. So that's a really big deal. They have a huge analytical department, obviously all the money in the world. The Braves, the way they've set up their staff, I was talking to Tyler Matzik. He said, I don't know if we could have created a better dynamic, especially with the pitching, because in the bullpen, I have the young, you know, hungry bullpen coach who's teaching me all the analytics. We're looking at numbers. We're always trying to enhance my pitch with whether it's the movement quality or whatever it is. And then I have a pitching coach who's, you know, grab you by the throat, tells you exactly what you need right on the mound at the right time. And that's kind of how they balanced out their entire staff. We have Walt Weiss, Eric Young, these guys that really understand, you know, the game because they played it for so long. They're willing to look into the analytics, but they're more worried about the feel, the understanding of the game, what they see with their eyes, because you can't really quantify the human being. Maybe one day they'll be able to do it, but you can't quantify emotions. You can't quantify what's going on at home. You have to ask these people, you know, they may not perform well because, Literally, they're going through a divorce at home. Maybe they just lost a family member. There's so many elements that they can't predict, and they're not even close to predicting, even when they think they have it. Are they really telling the truth? Are they manipulating it? Because there's money involved with this stuff. So, yeah, the front office has so much power now, and they know it all, right? Because data doesn't lie. That's a complete crock, right? We can manipulate data any way we want. You can look at it and say, oh, we think you should be this. If the players don't have that ownership, especially within their career, then it doesn't matter. The transparency is all that matters. You know, I saw all year long, everybody knows, you know, oh, he needs to just stay at 80 pitches. Well, why? Has he ever gone 110? Has he ever done 200 innings? No. Then how do you know that? You're putting him on an umbrella that doesn't exist. Every time you put a limit on a human being, they seem to beat it. You know, oh, you can't run a four-minute mile. Well, that was gone. There's just so many elements that they don't talk about, and that's the problem. So they're writing the lineups. They're saying this guy can't pitch that day. They're saying this guy needs a day off. Well, the reality of it is, why? Like, if you can't really be open with these guys, you can't necessarily bring the best out of them and tell them that, hey, we're really trying to help you succeed. Staying in this lane, uh, not a playoff guy, where's Don Mattingly fall? And is he going to be a commodity or is he at the end? We don't know the league broadly enough, well enough outside of our, our teams to have the answers to that. And we're curious. I think he's right in the middle. I think he's like a Joe Girardi. I think he's 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 been flirting with it, but there's some things that like you just don't give. You know, that I always say I don't coach because I get fired for telling the truth, and that's the reality. These guys I I've gotten to meet, you know, Don Mattingly just sparingly. Barry Bonds is a great example. The what reason that those guys don't work out is because they will they will fight for a player, they will lose a job for a coach, they will stand up when a lot of guys will just back down because it's a paycheck. They're getting their pension plan put, you know, put into place. There's a lot of things that I think the world needs to understand and why it happens. Like guys get fired all the time. Sometimes there's no reason. 
one of my really good friends was a hitting coach. It's now with the Pirates, got fired in Milwaukee for no reason. He was just the scapegoat, right? And I don't need to ask him that. He's never told me that. You can look at the numbers and say, why'd this dude get fired? There's no reason. Yelich loves him. All the big time players love him. You know, council loved him. You can figure it out. It's Andy Haynes. And it just, it was remarkable when they signed him here because like, what is he doing here? They were just in the playoffs and they hit well. Like, this makes no sense. You got to fire somebody. They didn't win, right? So it's the, just one of those things. Yeah. So the Braves sweep the Mets and end up winning the NL East. Is there a tangible effect on a team, the Mets, let's say, mentally, when you go into a series that important and you go over to then have to get off the deck and play so quickly in the playoffs? Can that linger mentally? And on the flip side of that, do the Braves lose any momentum from that sweep when they wait seven days to play their next game in the playoffs? I think I think they need the days. Try to get Strider back. It, it gives Acuna a chance to rest his knee. Uh, some of these young guys have thrown quite a bit. You know, Charlie Morton get a little bit of rest. I think it's really important for the Braves, and I don't think they're going to skip a beat. I, I think there's such a good team dynamic and culture there. I know a lot of people think that's taboo, but just knowing them firsthand, I know a lot of guys on that team and a lot of the coaches and the way that they actually care for each other, the fun they have, you know, I think that's going to be benefit for them. For the Mets, you want to stay in it. When you're, when you're not, you know, necessarily playing the way you want, you want to play that next day because every single chance you get to show up to the ballpark, it could change in a heartbeat, especially with some of their talent. And they have some guys that, you know, they can really carry them. And when you think about their pitching staff, you know, if Max Scherzer goes out and throws eight innings, you know, what are you going to do? That, that other, San Diego is going to be demolished mentally. Are the Dodgers the best team in baseball? I hate to say it, but yes. But I, I I say that very lightly because I also see the Braves as one-two. Like they're they're my one-two. Yankees right behind them um, because the Yankees are a little bit more unpredictable for me. The Braves just have a fight and tenacity that most teams don't. And I watched LA play in Pittsburgh and get beat, you know, pretty easily. And I, I think it all depends on you know how their starting pitching kind of sets the tone. I mean, they're they're going to rely on May. They're going to you know, if Kershaw keeps his streak of not being able to pitch the postseason, which I think is just a taboo. So it's it, there's a lot of question marks for me there. They, they're the bills of baseball, so to speak. They did win in 2020, but they have something to prove, I think, to Major League Baseball. With all the money they spent, they won the the, the half season, and I think they want to come out and prove something. But I, I would never bet on the Braves in the National League. Follow Michael McHenry on social at the Fort McHenry. Uh, always great. We look forward to this each week. And uh, next week, we'll be knee-deep and have some answers to the questions that we've been asking about the the early round games here, early series games. Looking forward to it, Michael. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks. Hey, thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. And you guys do a wonderful job. God bless you. Same to you. There's Michael McHenry. Uh, he will join us weekly through the postseason and then the week after the World Series, and we'll recap all of it. And we're going to go layers deeper into the analytics with him on a weekly basis. Um, he loves the Braves. Chad, you got to feel good about I, I, that. It feels to me like it would be an, an upset if it's not in the World Series, Astros or Yankees or Dodgers or Braves at this point. Those four teams, to me, I think anything else is an upset. I'm putting the Mets, Mets closely in that group. Right next. Right there with Dodgers and Braves. But in the American League, I, to me, it's pretty clearly Astros, Yankees, then everyone else. Yeah, in I mean, terms Cleveland's of your handicap, the third who, best who's going to get there? And Cleveland is 
is a ways away. My guy Stephen Kwan still doing big things. Yeah, for he for had Cleveland. a very good year. Yeah, early in the year, that was my guy. I was ready to get a jersey. Contact Armando Salguero about to join us as we will switch gears, go back to the lane of football. We preview the upcoming NFL slate for Week Five and hit the biggest topics with Armando Salguero next on Now Kick Three Sixty. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. One of our favorite segments of the week, Armando Salguero with us on Outkick 360 as we broadcast from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Armando joins us. Armando, hope you are well. I am doing very well, gentlemen. And, and by the way, before you ask, uh, my background today is um, the Miami Dolphins sitting at the Olympic Stadium in Berlin in the 1990s. And if you look right over here, wait, he, here. It's very difficult to know yes, what show. Yes, Right there? Yeah, the front row. That's Doug Peterson sitting next to Dan Marino. <laughs> number 14, right? Yes. The number 14 sitting next to number 13, yes. Dan Marino. That's pretty good. Yes. And obviously I'm doing that because, um, you know, the NFL is all international. Last week, this week, it's it's just everywhere. Uh. What do you think of Mike McCarthy saying they are underdogs to no one as they go on the road this week to take on the Rams? And uh, the, the Cowboys are three-and-a-half-point dogs, I believe, with that defense and the fact that they've been winning games with Cooper Rush. Yeah, I think he's been reading the Cooper Rush uh, clips <laughs> and, and believing them because, dude, uh, with all respect to Cooper Rush, you're playing a backup quarterback against the defending world champions. So uh, if you don't understand why you are indeed the, the, you know, the handicapper's second favorite in a two-horse race in that game, then you're not understanding why, uh, why things are um, the way they are in the world. When you look at tonight's game, Colts and Broncos – I can make an argument on either side of this that it's more important for one or the other team. Colts, obviously, a game back where the Broncos are right now. Broncos are 2-2. Two and two. But Armando at home against a Colts team that's floundering without Jonathan Taylor in this game certainly feels like an urgent must-win situation for Denver as well. What do you think about the urgency involved with both of these teams tonight? Urgent must win for Denver and urgent must play well for Russell Wilson, correct? I would agree. Because Russell Wilson, he's making a lot of money. <laughs> and, uh, and the Denver Broncos gave up, you know, obviously a lot of stuff for uh, the, the right to have him in the lineup. And he's not really been that guy for them yet. And... What I would say to you is in Denver, they are pointing to history and saying, well, when we got Peyton Manning, he initially took a, a minute 
before he got rolling as our new, you know, face of the franchise quarterback. So the fact that Russell Wilson uh, is taking a little bit of time is not new to us and is not worrisome to us, except that, you know, Peyton Manning didn't play in this kind of AFC West. And uh, the fact that Peyton Manning was a better player than Russell Wilson. So there's that. Um, So clearly this is a moment where if there's going to be a defining moment, a fork in a road moment where the Denver Broncos go one way or the other, this is as good a time as any for that to be this. Let's get to the concussion element in a, in a second let's start with teddy bridgewater you want in your backup quarterback a guy who could win you two out of three two out of four if your quarterback's out we don't know how long Tua will be out we know he's not playing this week how well can teddy bridgewater manage mike mcdaniel and his offense going forward right now for the Dolphins, who are one of the stories of the season in terms of what they've been able to do? Well, that's a great word, Paul, manage, because Teddy Bridgewater is a a very uh, high-caliber game manager. I think that's what he is. Uh, we, We clearly are past the Teddy Bridgewater should be your starter phase of his career, He's a game manager. He's a save the, you know, save. When you're manning the lifeboats, he's the guy that's on the lifeboat trying to get you aboard. And so, obviously, um, it's going to test the the cast around him. The Dolphins believe they have a solid cast around him. And so they, they should be okay against the Jets, I would imagine. I saw one report that said this – transparent report that is going to come as a result of the NFLPA's request could come today that they wanted it out before the Thursday night game. Do you think that's possibility and uh, how transparent in fact, do you think it, it is going to be once we uh, get a hold of it? Well, I, I think it's a very serious possibility. Obviously we've only got a, a few hours left. Uh, beyond that, I think it's going to be very transparent in how it changes, you know, the, it closes the loophole of, of, of the whole consultation and the symptoms, if I could say the word English is my second language, you know? (laughs) Um, so, uh, so there's that now, is it going to give us a look behind the, the curtain of what actually happened at the Hard Rock Stadium, you know, locker room and in the x-rays and stuff like that? No, but it will tell us uh, what is happening, what is going to be happening going forward. And the one thing I, I should mention is, you know, several people have said mistakes were made in trying to diagnose to his symptoms after, during the Buffalo halftime period. Um, I, I would be surprised if, to your question, we understand we understand and get an understanding of what those mistakes are. English is my work. English is my only language, and I struggle with it at times. So <laughs> no, no worries there, Armando. What do you think happened? And I ask that because I think it's very easy for the league to say we've got a doctor that was on site that was replacing someone else that screwed it up, and we got rid of that doctor, and now we're going to tweak a couple things. 
with the protocol moving forward, but protocol was followed. The doctor just screwed it up after applying the protocol. Is that what you believe happened, or is there something else going on here in terms of what was missed? Okay, so what I believe happened is to a tongue of Iloa, and this is going to sound crazy, right? But in it's hard to understand that a person absolutely has a concussion unless they are way across the line of the symptoms and showing symptoms. I don't believe Tua was showing symptoms other than, you know, that moment on the field where he had that stumble to his knees. And that was the reason that everybody decided Tua needs to be uh, checked for head trauma, that. And the Dolphins maintained that that was a stumble caused by a lower back injury. And so when the consultant is in front of Tua and checking for the symptoms, uh, it's very possible that Tua didn't have you know, major symptoms. And, and that's, that's just a possibility that I think is almost a probability, but the guy is going to take, um, you know, the scapegoat label and, and wear it for a while because the ne- four days later, Tua is out on the field in Cincinnati. Armando Salguero, our guest on Outkick 360. Sunday night football this week, Bengals are on the road against the Ravens. Wink Martindale is now with the New York Giants in part because the Bengals averaged 41 points per game against Baltimore a year ago. Baltimore's defense, not so good this year. Uh, and the players are even saying, hey, the numbers the numbers don't lie. We haven't been good, especially against the pass. What do you think of how Cincy will go into this game knowing that they've started to get things back on track? Offensive line's better. Run game hasn't been all that hot, but... They've protected Joe Burrow. And knowing that Lamar Jackson and company, they've been posting points in the first half and in the second half in some games, and they're not really trailing. They've only trailed a combined like 16 seconds or something in their two losses. And this this is a, a big series between these two teams for that division. Right. Uh, before I get to that answer, Jonathan, I, I should tell you that the Patriots just put Brian Hoyer, our Hoyer, their second string quarterback on injured reserve. So now they have their starter injured. They have their second string guy injured and it's Bailey Zappi uh, is wow. their quarterback who was their quarterback at the end of last week's game, by the way. So I wonder, well, um, I wonder what happens because they've been, they've had Mac Jones at practice, although he's unlikely to play again. He who's there last week too, but he's got a high ankle sprain. I haven't looked at their, at their depth or their practice squad, but I wonder who's behind Zappy. I don't know who's behind Zappy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of the things that just cracks me up about the NFL is we place all this importance on the quarterback and who's your starting quarterback. Let's just say it right here. And now if your starting quarterback is out, you're going to lose about 80% 80% of the time, if your backup is not named Cooper Rush. Garrett Gilbert. And if you're, Garrett Gilbert. And if you're, wow. <laughs> and, if you're, and if your second string quarterback goes down too, 
you're going to lose about 90% of the time. So higher, higher. I don't care who the backup to the third stringer is. I just I want to know how, how deep we have to go for the Lions to win this game, Armando. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> well, I mean, so the Lions have the highest output offense in the NFL right I, now. I know. So also the highest give up output defense. Yeah, that's true too. That's problematic. I think they're and averaging that's kind of what they're averaging 35 points and 35 allowed. <laughs> that's remarkable. It's fun to watch if you like scoring. It's amazing. Oh, absolutely. And oh, by the way, that's kind of the Baltimore Ravens issue there too, we go. by the yep. way. That's right. And they, which is surprising. They, they score a lot of points and they give up a lot of points, especially in the second half. So which which team would you side with on they're going to figure it out? I realize both can and still make the playoffs, but I'm just talking top of the division. Would you go with Cincy or the way Baltimore's been playing and knowing they're not really trailing until the very end of games? I think the Bengals are a more complete team. It's hard to say that. It's just that the the Baltimore secondary is not what it has been in the past. And we kind of, until people start to realize this, there's a reason that the Miami Dolphins threw four touchdown passes in the fourth quarter against that, that secondary. There's a reason why Josh Allen down, what was it, 17 points at one point? Uh, the Buffalo Bills go home winners. Uh, that secondary is problematic. Part of the Rams' problem here is they try to to get some traction in defending their Super Bowl championship is they, they can't find anybody to throw it to outside of Cooper Cup. Um, everybody thought they were upgrading when they signed Allen Robinson and traded Robert Woods to the Titans. Allen Robinson uh, has been I- invisible what do you think's going on there? Uh, and I know pass protection is part of it. That that the Rams' offense, high flying offense from last year, is not flying. Well, the Allen Robinson part of that, Paul, is Allen Robinson is not a separation wide receiver. He's a fifty fifty ball wide receiver, and you have to trust that he's going to win when he's covered. And I don't believe that Matthew Stafford trusts him enough to throw him the ball when he looks like he's covered. Uh, Allen Robinson will win a good amount of those, but he's never open. It's always someone's hanging all over him, and the way he has made his living is he just, you know, fights them for the ball and wins the fight. Unless your quarterback trusts you, you're not going to get an opportunity to be in many fights. Armando, looking at the upcoming schedule, and that the, the Steelers have made the change, they're they're going with Pickett. Here are the defenses he's facing over the next five games. Yeah, the Bills, the Bucks, the Dolphins, the Eagles, and the Saints. Do you think we get? And we have certainly seen uh, a, a rookie come off the bench and provide a spark, and they go on a, a a mini run where they're not a playoff team, but they're also not bad. They're just in the middle. Um, do you think we see that from Pickett, or do you think the the this gauntlet that he's about to go against is going to serve as a welcome to the NFL type moment where we all look around and go, man, maybe maybe everyone was right when they said they should have just waited on these rookie quarterbacks? Right. So my answer to that, I have a two word answer to that. Uh, the head coach. Mitchell Trubisky. Oh, or I thought you were Mike Tomlin. Yeah, okay, that's fair enough. You know, uh, it, what's your other choice? 
Your other choice is a guy that we know isn't good enough. We don't know whether Kenny Pickett is going to be something or not, but I think his ceiling is a little bit higher than what Mitchell Trubisky and his ceiling has demonstrably been. And so that's the, that's the way that they are thinking of this. It's not, oh my gosh, we're throwing a rookie out against, you know, the, the murderer's row of defenses. It's, oh my gosh, our veteran quarterback's just not good enough and nobody believes in him and we got no other choice. I, you know, Paul, you were saying like before the season, there's, they, they brought in Trubisky. If they go with him, they're going to stick with him a while. You know, a while being more than three games, yeah, more than four games. And, played his way out of it. you know, three and a half, and we've got the rookie in. I just don't – it's it's just it, – it's a move to where I think they probably saw enough in the preseason but didn't really want to do it. And the offense was so – lethargic's the wrong word. It was just very five yards. That was that – was, even on the passes, just everything's so short and sweet and simple and punt that they had no other option. I'm with you. I just think this could be ugly a, a bit until they get T.J. Watt back. If he comes back, he's a difference maker on, on the opposite side to where they're going to affect the other team's quarterback to the point where I think it'll give Pickett more possessions. Uh, I would agree with you, except for the possibility that Kenny Pickett is that guy. Oh, okay. And, <laughs> you know, I, I covered... I covered Ben Roethlisberger's first game as a rookie. He got into the lineup because of an injury, not because the other guy was benched. And his first game was against a very stout Miami Dolphins defense. And he was good. <laughs> and he beat them. And he didn't stop there. So Kenny Pickett last week, he had three interceptions, right? Yes. Two of those were one of them bounded off the hands of the receiver. The other one went through the hands of the receiver and into the hands of the defender. So I'm going to give him the, the benefit of the doubt because I would not give the other guy the benefit. Yeah. Of the and doubt. It, guys, if he plays well this week, as a 14 and a half point underdog on the road in Buffalo, everyone's on the picket bandwagon. You're taking after the 14 one and a half. That's a massive number. That is a massive number, but I'm, I don't know anything about betting, so what do I know? All right. Yeah. Fair enough. That's a good policy. Neither do we. You know, neither, neither, neither do we, we, but we're going we, we to do something. We, we, we pretend we that we know, but we really don't know anything. <clears throat> I'm taking the 14 and a half. Which game are you most looking forward to this weekend, Armando? Uh, I, I kind of am fired up about tonight. You know, I'm a one day at a time kind of person, uh. Jonathan. And. Tonight is going to be fun. I'm going to be interested to see if Nathaniel Hackett, uh, you know, soils himself on national television again because he surely did the last time. Armando, that sounded to me like a I do not immediately recall this weekend's schedule well, wait, answer. Think, you know, we have we, the, the primetime games are pretty good. Uh, Bengals, Ravens, Raiders, Chiefs. But we also get Eagles at Cardinals. I, I liked what Jalen Hurts did at the end of the press conference yesterday. No one asked him anything about the Cardinals. And he, before he left the podium, he just said, hey, I just want, I want to say this. The Cardinals' defense, they're fast, they're aggressive. We are not taking them lightly. I haven't been asked about them, but we're not overlooking the Arizona Cardinals. There's a lot to go prepare for, and I just don't want it to, to be out there that I'm not talking about their defense. That's smart. At 4-0, and that was an MVP-like comment from a, you know, a media corps that's very happy with everything that's going on. 
everyone, not just Philly, everyone's happy with what we're seeing from the Eagles. And no one asked him about the Cardinals. And I, I thought it was a very heads-up move to mention that when he had the opportunity. I know you think Jalen Hurts is the MVP leading candidate right now. I would I have do. to disagree with you. Who would you go with? I did read your story on Outkick. Outstanding who work, would, who, Thank you, Armando. Same, same for, who would you go with right now? Who would your vote be for? Well, I kind of like Patrick Mahomes a little bit, my friend. Yeah, I added him in there. I'm with you. I just uh, Hertz has done. It's hard to. I mean, Hertz has been really, really good run and pass. And uh, what would I? I what What did the Kansas City offense put up against Indy? Uh, they played poorly. I watched the. I was at their game against Tampa. They put up forty one. Yeah, I know. And he had a and, and oh, the highlight the way, reel and touchdown pass. Yeah, and he uh, he's now and oh, he's now way, second in my voting. I don't hate Josh I think Allen. That if if you give you know Patrick Mahomes um, the wide receivers that Jalen Hurts has, it would be it would it would be pinball football. Armando, we could give we could give Patrick Mahomes the wide receivers that Ryan Tannehill has, and it would be pinball football. Yep. You know, yeah, that's true. Um, Good point. Hey, uh, great. Catching up with you as always. Look forward to this weekend and all the coverage. We'll catch up next week. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Armando. There's Armando Salguero. Outkick.com is where you can find him and his great work coming up. Uh, LeBron is doubling down on the comments. He had his media day with the Lakers the, yesterday or the day before and uh, mentioned that he's going to own an NBA team and he's already proclaimed where that's going to be. That's next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So LeBron James, uh, this offseason, he was on a podcast or he did something, and he mentioned, I forget who the other co-owner was going to be. It was Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather and LeBron James were linked together on ownership of a Vegas expansion franchise for the NBA. And LeBron, at the media day with the Lakers, uh, talked about that. And he said, yeah, I'm, that's what I want. I want the Vegas franchise. Who yeah. doesn't? But he's... He's jumping into the ownership the same way we've seen MJ do that. Yeah, so th this was a preseason game in Vegas against the Suns, who, of course, the Suns are being sold right now. And LeBron James and the media availability around this claims that Las Vegas has the best sports fans in the country and that he wants to bring a team to Las Vegas. Here's my initial reaction to that. I feel like most of the time billionaire sports owners don't announce their intention to own a team before that team has even been put into existence with expansion or it's for sale. Typically, the guys that buy these teams, you don't know about it. It's very cloak and dagger. They're not out there announcing their intentions to buy a pro sports team before it happens, which makes me think this is probably not going to happen. Well, that said, and I, I don't disagree with you, but most of those guys also don't have a public profile of LeBron James, so they can't use it to their yeah, advantage the way he can. It's also very uh, <clears throat> presumptuous sounding to me that LeBron oh, is just absolutely. announcing, I want this team. Yeah. Hey, Adam Silver, I know you're in Abu Dhabi right now. <laughs> 
doing something. But I want you to know, I'm sure he reads all the interview transcripts. I would like this team in Las Vegas. I'm thinking, okay, great. You got the money? Also, Who's funding this project? Doesn't he currently play for the Lakers? He currently Don't plays the for the Lakers. Don't the Lakers fans not want to hear that Las Vegas has the best fans in the world since he's playing currently yeah, for the Lakers? It's, that's weird, too. The CBA, by the way, prohibits a player from owning a team until after one year is Out. passed from because playing. he'll come out of retirement. And LeBron recently said in an interview with Chris Ballard that he not only wants to play with Bronny, he wants to play with Bryce, his 15-year-old son. He wants to be playing with his both of his sons at some point. So he's not going for at away. least a season. So Hutton had the timetable with one year overlap is, with Bronny, but we're getting a lot more than that. This is a long term. His Bronny's a senior in high school, and Bryce is fifteen. So this is a long term play. He's looking at twenty twenty six, twenty seven, maybe being his final yeah. year. Okay. Yeah, because if you're cha- going to play with Bryce, because they're changing the rules soon on the you can come out as a, at eighteen, right? Yeah. So it would be at least three, three, three to years. four years. That he would play in the league if he's going to play with. Then another year after that to own a team. So maybe he's just seeing the future and saying, in five years, <laughs> there's going to be an expansion team in Vegas. And hey, Commissioner Silver, I want to be the owner of that team. Give me my team. Well, it, that also times up well with all of that. By the way, the Suns... He's not rich at the own a team level. No, he rich. would need, he he would needs need a huge help. back. Well, he is a billionaire. Yeah, yeah, but still, it's not. I don't think he would need a huge backer. He'd need a little bit of help in investing, but he's not too far off. How much of it's liquid? Uh, more than anyone in this room, in this building oh, combined. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. Ask LeBron. Let's get his finance. David, get LeBron's get his financial, financial advisor on. Let's find out his finance. Headlines on the SEC next.